just getting started here at Post Show Recaps. Hello, everyone. I am Antonio Mazzaro. Josh Wiggler is not with me this week. He is on assignment. Perhaps he's in Australia wandering around. It's not entirely clear, but I'm very glad to be joined by my great friend, Rob Sesternino. Rob, how are you? Antonio, how are you? I, I just got back from the 2% world. I was there. I, w- I couldn't find you anywhere. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> I live in the skim world, Rob, not the 2% world. Uh, the, or the, yeah, like I live in the fat-free world. Who am I kidding? <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is, uh, this is great, Rob. I'm glad that you're here to talk about the feedback that everybody has sent in about The Leftovers, this final episode. I'm really, really pumped up to have a few days after the finale and everything that has uh, gone on in the aftermath. All of Damon Lindelof has apparently talked to every media outlet except Post Show recaps mm-hmm. uh, he does not want to commune with the great antonio in the sky i suppose <laughs> i guess not but i've been chomping at the bit since sunday night to be able to talk with you and josh eventually i'm so excited to uh be here to talk about this finale of the leftovers yes uh, so am i we podcast about better call saul here you and i do rob at post show recaps and normally before our better call saul podcast every week we have a little bit of a, a leftovers mini-sode where you and i mm-hmm. uh, share thoughts about the episodes uh without recording them i'm sure people would love those uh those hot takes but they're out they're not out there anywhere recorded that i know of unless you've been recording me without my knowledge uh, which is entirely no, it's possible. so great to have antonio as a friend because i can just like okay here's my personal feedback show of here are my questions about the episode and then to have antonio be able to explain everything to you personally it is such a treat so very excited for uh, me to be able to do this uh once again and uh, pick your brain and then everybody else can hear it also this week yeah i feel like you just destroyed my dms by the way uh, i'm gonna get lots of dms now but that's fine uh, yeah that is a uh, I, I said you that. should start a 900 number <laughs> what i well i have some ideas for that so maybe that's uh, on another <laughs> podcast uh that's supposed show recaps up all night we'll, we'll talk about that but uh but yeah i i really enjoy that it's valuable for me too rob because we have similar uh perspectives in a lot of tv shows we talk about tv shows we have for years now but we also th- see things a little bit differently sometimes and i we have referenced you throughout this season of the Leftovers yes. podcast and the prophecy of Rob Sesternino. So I guess the first thing I want to ask you before we really delve into the feedback, how do you feel about the landing and were you satisfied with season three overall? Okay, just to speak to the the first point, you know, I, I really do feel like that um, the the line that I said or the opinion that I had of that if they went back to the uh, international assassin hotel and there were a lot of different characters there i felt like that this was a jump the shark moment again that i would say the caveat with that is you know if you do something artfully then you know it's not a jump the shark so i said i don't think that that was necessarily like that was kind of a of a dumb opinion that was uh, set in the heat of the moment so i, I like a little bit of a mulligan <laughs> on that but that being said I I really enjoyed the season. I mean, the show is uh, so well done and it was uh, such a fun ride. It did not end necessarily the way that I expected it to, but it was a, a very emotionally satisfying ending. But I've got a lot to talk about, Antonio. 
That's great. That's great. And it is, uh, I have a lot to talk about too, even though Josh and I did already recap the finale, there, uh, the world has gone askew, a scoot in the yes. days after this finale because people are all torn up uh, about whether or not Nora's story is true or not, or where mm-hmm. we were even in the world of this finale. So unless you have any uh, overarching views that you want to get to before we get into the feedback, we can just dive right in. No, I'm ready to dive right in because I feel like that coming out of the recap show that you and Josh did, uh, you guys uh, very, you know, very optimistic about the finale, about the series, and both were, you know, very much on the level of, yeah, okay, let's we'll buy what Nora is selling because, uh, you know, it it sounds good to us and we feel we feel good about it, and uh, I know a lot of people, you know, share that interpretation, but. I hate to come in and be all Patty Levin here, but <laughs> but you're gonna I take a dump. You're gonna take a dump in a bag and leave it on my doorstep. I got it. Uh, yeah, this is I don't know either, and I I do I I never really felt like I did know, but I felt like I don't care, and I still feel that way. I still feel that way, but I do think there is a lot of interesting mileage in both possibilities and the idea that she might've created this story for one reason or another. And we'll talk about the why of course, that she might've done that or that if she's telling the truth, what are the implications or ramifications of a world where this is happening? Let me dive right in. This one is from Homer Brannon one and Homer says, I think Nora lied. Her story has too many holes. If our world lost 2% of the population, then the alternative world lost 98%. The world couldn't even function. So she had the scientists build another machine, but she had him build it in Australia, or she came through in North America and decided to go back to Australia for no reason. And why would he build that for in the first place? Why not mass produce it and start sending everyone back? I don't know. As I type this, I can think of plenty of counter arguments. Guess that's what makes the finale so good. Ambiguity works sometimes. And for the record, I love the Lost finale, so maybe that shreds my credibility. We don't need to get too much into the Lost world, Rob, but what do you think about some of the points that Homer's making here? Okay, so just to get this out of the way up front, and you touched on this uh, in your lead up to the question, whether she went through to the 2% world whether she got out of the machine, whether the machine didn't work, whatever the reason was, I do agree that all roads do take us back to the same place of that there is this uh, very long hiatus between the Nora and Kevin love story. And I think that Kevin, who says, you know, why wouldn't I believe you? You know, I'm here that it doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care either way, whether she went or whether she was living in Australia this, this whole time. So both ways end up to, in this, you know, emotionally satisfying ending. So let me just get that out of the way. But I, I am very much uh, of the belief that I, I don't think that Nora went through to the other side. I think that we could really, if we r- start to examine this story and, and I hope that people aren't going to be upset with me where it's like, Hey, this is a great finale and you're ruining it for me by really nitpicking every little thing and examining it where I do think that sort of the message of the show is if you can just let things be, <laughs> let the mystery be, that's how you'll be happy right if you could just sort of like say ah eh, it doesn't matter how this worked 
it, it was fine. Just just live with that. That's but I'm not necessarily a happy person, Antonio. That's not, I can't let anything just be. Listen, so yeah, we're here to pick nits. Yeah, we're here. Okay. So yeah. I just want to get that out out of the way up, up front. So I, I I know everything that I'm saying. How it might uh, eventually be coming across of like this is why we can't have nice things. That being said, <laughs> Nora's story of that she you know got there to Australia, chartered a, a boat to go all the way back to New York. She like hid in the bushes. She saw her family. She's like, oh, oh wait, you know, I should just go. They don't need me. So let me, you know, either go look up the doctor who I guess probably was back in Australia. I, I don't know how she's like getting around in this world where she has no money. She's like, uh, you know, has no means to support herself. And she's she's, sell, she's hawking birds. She's hawking hawks. She's uh, training birds and then selling them to weddings. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> That's enough to buy a transcontinental ticket for sure. I guess and she comes all the way back and then she finds the doctor and then she waits for him to put together the machine again. And then she goes back and then just stays in Australia. It's it's not passing the smell test for me, Antonio. There are some serious issues and I don't I don't find fault with any of that. And I don't find fault with anybody having a strong take about what they believe. Uh, this is a show I think throughout that has taught us uh, maybe you shouldn't be judgmental over what other people cling to or believe if it's a system that works for them and doesn't cause harm to others. And I think that that's uh, that's where I'm at with this. I don't have any any issue with anybody saying she lied or she didn't lie. I have issue with people being sure that they know uh, the truth of a thing that was purposefully written to be ambiguous and that the writers themselves, if you read a lot of the post-show press, talk about the, the, the clear decision that they made to be ambiguous. And I do think upon rewatch that the finale sets up this world where we are meant to question the broad pronouncements of Nora Durst. This finale starts, Rob, as many have observed, with her saying, I don't lie. Uh, and then known lies that she's telling uh, throughout not only the course of the episode, but really the context of the show overall. She lies to the nun about the name Kevin meaning anything to her. She lies about other things like the tattoo. She lies mm-hmm. about many things throughout the course of the show. So this is a person who definitely does lie. I guess my question is, What's the real utility in in her making up this crazy story to tell to Kevin? Is it to protect her cowardice on some level to explain why she wouldn't have sought Kevin out at some point? What is the real reason? It, let's say we live in a world where when the when the liquid is filling up in that crazy little chamber and she's maybe screaming something right before it cuts away. It's not entirely clear what's happening there. Let's say she backs out at that point. For, for what reason does she then make up this crazy story, knowing that she never wants to see Kevin again and is hiding from him? Well, she makes up a story so that so that if she ever does see him again, like I, I don't understand why she's got this story at the ready to, to make up. Because in one story, the story where she goes through to the 2% world, she is making a choice that she went out there, she saw everybody was fine, she saw she wasn't needed, and she did the morally correct thing. Why upset my family's perfect life? I know I'm not needed. I'm going to be the bigger person that I don't need to do this for me. I, I know that they're fine. I'm a ghost here. I need to go back. I need to send me back. Whereas the other version of the story is I couldn't do it. I chickened out for whatever reason, and I couldn't go through with this thing that I came all the way around the world to do. 
And I feel like that one of those stories is stronger. And then I've been hiding here around the world from you all this time. And I think that the story of going to the 2% world is easier to sell and for Kevin ultimately to swallow. Well, and Kevin doesn't really care, right? Like that is the, no. the real the real winner and why the show ends on such a high note uh, is that he doesn't care one way or the other. And it's fascinating because the context of their relationship in the course of this season had very much been, uh, and some in last season, had very much been Kevin has crazy shit happening to him, stuff that seems unexplainable, stuff that people wouldn't believe if he told them, especially a skeptic like Nora. And it creates a real gulf between the two of them that there's this very important thing that's happened in his life. And he can't even talk to her about it because he knows she won't believe him and she'll refuse it and she'll deny it and she'll do all the things that she's done. And I think all he ever wanted was her to say, like, I believe you. Like, I get it. You're fine. Like, you're going to be here. All I care about is that you're here. I don't, it doesn't really matter that you go to this other world. or I'm not going to pick at the threads of that. I, he, she Basically, he wanted the, the same thing from her that he provides to her at the end of the episode. So I do think that there is some, there's some validity in, like, uh, saying maybe she's afraid of telling him the truth, which is that she backed out, that she didn't do what he said. I just don't understand why she's been hiding in Australia this whole time. Like, that's the part that doesn't jibe to me if she didn't go through. Why Australia? Why that particular place in time? Why that way? Why a place where he actually might be able to find her? Oh, you feel like that she should have gone to where, like, some like the Middle East, where yeah, well, yeah. like this completely random. Yeah, yeah, just anywhere that isn't like if you're if you're actively trying to hide from Kevin because you're trying to hide your shame. Why stay in this place that you have like one week worth of time associated with, where he might actually look the last known place that you were? Wouldn't you disappear to like the Alps or anywhere that isn't that place? Like anywhere that isn't that place. That's the part I don't really understand, and it doesn't make sense on any level. Like it doesn't make sense to me that she would come back to there if she went through the machine and it doesn't make sense to me that she would never leave there if she didn't go through the machine so i don't really know uh i i I feel i feel like the ambiguity is on purpose what do you feel though this is from alex wilpon alex said i was in all of the first 60 minutes of the finale up until nora began to tell her story however since the series premiered i've been operating on the premise set by lindelof himself that we're never going to find out what happened to the departed in the moment watching the final scene, I found Nora's story of traveling to and then back from the world of the 2% jarring and a little disappointing. With some time to process, I found more comfort with the ambiguity that perhaps she wasn't telling the truth or perhaps we're actually in an afterlife or hotel world. But I'm curious about your reaction to getting an answer to one of the show's central mysteries, given that we've been told all along to let the mystery be. How do you feel about okay. this, Rob, in this world? This is another great question here from Alex and uh, two things on this. Uh, One, I kind of thought that they were in some sort of hotel world alternate reality through most of the episode. And that was mostly by the reappearance of Laurie in the storyline, which I hope we get a chance to talk about today because I'm still that that's the one area of the finale that I really uh, was unhappy with that we ended up getting some sort of a resolution. But I, I don't believe based on everything I've heard from the you know, in interviews with Damon Lindelof, I don't believe that that's the case at all. That the, I, I believe this is supposed to be, as the episode presents it, just the later time of whatever the original leftovers timeline was. But I would tell you, Alex, that 
I don't believe that we got the answer to what happened to the 2% because, Antonio, you said that you don't think people can walk away with from this finale with any sort of definitive proof that Nora lied. But what if I told you that I feel like I do have the definitive proof that Nora lied? Show your work. I can't wait to hear this. Let's hear Exhibit A. So I rewatched the finale this morning because I knew we were going to come yes. on and do this show. And, you know, paying particularly close attention to the, you know, the scenes where Nora is getting into the machine and you see, you know, as you guys uh, pointed out again, uh, excellent work there by Carrie Coon, uh, the bravest woman in the world. And she is getting into that machine. And as she's getting into the machine, she's, you know, seeing flashbacks of like what happened with her kids as she's getting into the machine. And then as she begins to, at the end of the episode, tell Kevin the story of what happened to her and she's getting into the machines. And twice during that story, we get flashbacks to what actually happened. We saw her getting into the machine. We saw a flashback to the moment of her screaming that we saw. But then when she tells the story of the 2% world, no further flashbacks are given, Antonio. No further flashbacks. Is that proof she lied? To me, we're seeing the flashback. Again, unless you want to argue that, well, no, that was a stylistic choice because they had footage from that and they would have had to go and shoot new footage. But why would we get flashbacks to one part of the story, the part of the story that we saw, but not get flashbacks to other parts. And we've seen this stylistic device used, uh, you know, when other people are talking about things on The Leftovers where we get like sort of a quick, no sounds flashback to what they're talking about. But at the point where she talks about the 2% world, those flashbacks stop. Now, if there were no flashbacks in the story, I would say, you know, that the story, you know, sounds good. I feel like we could argue it both ways. But why would we get flashbacks to only part of the story, the part of the story that we can prove? Yeah, that's why, because it's the part that we saw. Uh, and that's the part that we, we saw. We don't see flashbacks to things that we've never seen. Typically, uh, those are hallucinations or some other thing. This is a flashback to something we experience with the character. You mentioned those other those other moments when Kevin's thinking about Patty Levin or he's thinking about the hotel world and we see him doing those things in in real time, not in the, the universe of the hotel. We're seeing moments that we as an audience saw on screen and we're being reminded that he's thinking about these things, much the way that we see Nora thinking about her kids as she walks up to the machine. And it is a stylistic choice. I think you make a great observation. Here at Post Show Recaps, we do a lot of the reading, so you don't have to. Many of you in the audience may have done this. But, Damon, this was a great debate in the actual stylistic choice of the way the episode was created. And the debate was between Damon Lindelof and Tom Perlotta, the, the original writer of the novel and basically the co-head writer, the co-creator of this show, someone who's been in from the beginning and someone who has a heavy voice in the room. And Tom said, we can't see it. I don't want us to see it. This world is based around a lot of ambiguity and not a lot of clarity. 
and our show is based around people telling stories that you have to lend some credence to or not. Uh, there is a lot of that that goes on throughout the course of all of the leftovers. And so this fits into that realm uh, of a show they created where they don't want to provide clarity. And I think the, the issue is ultimately, and this goes to Alex's question, they have stated from the beginning that they don't want to definitively answer that question about what happened to the departed or where did they go or what caused the departure and all of that. And we still don't have an answer for what caused this thing, but we maybe, if Nora's story is to believe, have an answer for how it happened. And I think the reason, like where they went, uh, and I think the reason we don't see it is the show really wants to keep that ambiguous. They don't want to make that clear. I don't think they want to make it not clear. I think there's a way to show this to prove that Nora was lying. And I think the way you do that is actually show her scream stop before she gets in the machine. And then when she tells Kevin the story, she tells him a much different story. But I think part of the issue is, and and I'd love to know your take on this, because it doesn't go with what anyone has really sent in on feedback, but it goes to what you were just saying. When I first watched the finale, I, like you, was thinking, where are we? What are we? What's going on here? Like the way the finale was shot and presented with Kevin lying and, and saying he didn't remember Nora and Nora running around and locking her doors and windows and trying to run from Kevin and being unsure of what was going on. And so much of the finale is her just being very unsure of what is happening. I was definitely getting triggered because of the connections to the lost finale, especially the final season. But I was also the whole time thinking like, this is not the the real world. Like this is some kind of fake world because this is not making sense. And I do think that you lose that if you show her effectively not getting into the machine. I think we had to go through when they cut to make it seem like uh, we are not sure if she died or not. We are not sure what world she's in when we're in the future with Sarah Durst. We don't really know ultimately uh, where we are. And I think the first viewing of the finale is really like that's what it's all about. It's about that sense of like confusion and wonder and wondering what's happening. So I think if you show her not getting to the machine you lose that uh, at any point and I think there's a way to that you can show that she's lying later in the episode if you want but I do think they made a lot of decisions to be cute with it and I think the Lori thing is part of that I think by showing Lori in that world when you're watching the finale for the first time you're like wait a minute that character died so if she's talking to a character that's dead and I was watching this happen in real time my Twitter timeline was getting flooded with tweets of people saying no way she's dead like she's dead she's talking to a dead person she doesn't know what's going on she's going to realize that she's dead and that Kevin is in the afterlife waiting to meet her and that's the, the, the vibe the finale was seeking to create so do you think there's a better way for them to have served that all these masters to to have not shown the stories, to have included the ambiguity, and to have still made the finale, especially the fast forward, confusing and made people feel like it might be an afterlife scenario? Uh, you know, the show does sort of live in that world where they want to create mystery and have ambiguity so that, you know, the whole show, I feel like, is about when people don't have answers, they try to buy into stuff, they try yep. to make stuff up, and it gets people into trouble. And I do think that that is the worldview of this show. And there's so many things that you could point to that support that thinking. And so this idea 
idea of like, oh, okay, where are they? What, what's going on? I think that that also feeds into it. So I, I don't want to nitpick uh, that aspect of it too much. But I mean, in terms of specifically bringing Lori back into the story, uh, I really, that's my biggest criticism here, that they did that because I feel like that you had such a emotional gut punch in Certified where you believed, not you particularly, Antonio, because we all <laughs> believed that Lori right. committed suicide. And that was like an emotional moment. And I felt like it was, in a lot of ways, with this finale, everybody had a happy ending. And this show, I don't believe ever was that or was supposed to be that of a happy ending for everybody. Even Kevin Sr., still alive and kicking at yeah, 91. Yes, on a roof somewhere. Yeah. And, and yes, Matt died, but he had the, you know, he went out the way that he wanted to. And so there was sort of like a happy ending even around Matt's death. And for every character that we know of in the story, everybody, everybody that we know of that made it to this point, they're all doing great. And... To me, I felt like that that uh, took a little bit away from from this show, and especially from the emotional experience we all had with Certified to now say, mm, no, nah, Lori didn't go through with it. And again, I know that episode opens with Lori going to greater lengths to commit suicide and ultimately not going through with it. And in a way, I do think that you could help argue that this explains why Nora thought she was going to, whether it was commit suicide or go to some other realm and ultimately didn't go through with it. I do think that there is a through line there. But to me, I just felt like it was a little bit of an emotional cheat to not have had Lori commit suicide after we were given all the information pointing to that she was going to kill herself. And it was such an emotional earned episode. Yeah, we had some feedback about that. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick first asked if Lori being the only person we see Nora talk to from her old life after where we saw Lori leave things two episodes ago hindered or helped the case that this is an afterlife. It does seem like they've they've sort of, as you as you hinted at, like poo-pooed the idea that they are in some kind of afterlife, that the real ambiguity is did Nora tell the truth or not about the story, but that everything else is being told from a straight standpoint. And I was just talking about how seeing Lori in the finale when we did I felt like the real juice of that scene and why I feel like it's a little cheap which we'll get to another comment very uh, very shortly here is that it felt like the real juice from that scene was simply to add some confusion as to where we were I, I, I don't, even on a rewatch I don't feel like there's a ton of emotional juice in that scene Victoria Smith said I have to say I enjoyed the finale I didn't cry like I thought I would or maybe even as I hoped I would but it was good what's wrong with you Victoria I was crying like a baby Victoria <laughs> said, my problem is with Lori's arc. I didn't like the end to the certified episode. I almost felt that that suicide was out of nowhere. And no, not in the way suicides often feel. But I accepted the story. And I trust by this point. I trust the story. Amy Brenneman spoke to every entertainment outlet speaking about why this was a totally logical or consistent move for her character. But it didn't happen. I'd be fine without the interviews on this topic. This isn't like Kit Harrington and Jon Snow uh, because he had to speak about something at the season's end or some point because they're nine months separating these seasons. For all the story outside of the Leftovers show itself to press the claim of suicide is cheap when it feels like it could have stayed ambiguous for two weeks. I'll say it felt cheap for me at the end of Certified, and it felt cheap seeing that she'd never done it. It landed with an empty thud, unlike Junior's biometric authentication. <laughs> uh, yes. So 
I does this does this how does this work for you? Does this really? I mean, you're using the word cheap as well, and you went on. Uh, I think exactly how as you said. Like I felt the same way. Like I felt she was dead, and I do feel like bringing her back cheapens the end of certified. However. I was never, I never felt good about the end of Certified. I'm sure you heard it on these podcasts. It just Mm -hmm. didn't jibe to me. And I know Victoria has hinted at, okay, suicide doesn't make sense. It does come from out of nowhere. But this didn't come from out of nowhere. It felt like it came from the opposite direction. And I know that that's what they're saying. It felt like to them when they saw it, when they saw how Amy Brenneman played it. Uh, Do you, do you find that there's any uh, veracity? Like, do you, do you give them the latitude to change their mind about something like this? Because Damon Lynn, Lindelof has basically said he was in the high 90s, sure, that Laurie wasn't coming out of the water and that that evolved over the final three episodes of the season as they were shooting, writing, etc. Do you feel like shows can change their mind like this? And is this really that bad of a call in light of some of the other shows we talk about here on post-show recaps like Better Call Saul and House of Cards? which have uh, have really uh, pulled some tricks like this, for sure. Right. And I kind of feel like that this show, in my mind, was above the sort of 24 Tony Almeida. Oh, no, he wasn't really dead. Uh, you know, you never saw the body. So, right. Doug you Stamper know. in the woods. Right. right. I was not expecting a no. Lori was under the dumpster. It wasn't she. That wasn't a suicide. You never saw her commit suicide. Like the show didn't treat it as an ambiguous thing at, at the end of the episode. And I'd have to go back and rewatch that to say, uh, you know, maybe uh, you know that you could have read it either way. But the show definitely we, we there was nobody after certified that was like. So do you think that Lori killed herself? Do you think that she that she committed suicide? So that to only two episodes later, walk that back. I just expected that this show really did have a plan and a through line, especially as they were writing this final season. So to have that, you know, again, I like the callback of like, oh, no, I was your I was your doctor you know i was your therapist so that's uh you know we still have this doctor patient confidentiality sure i I liked all that but it just really threw me for a loop that it was laura and it just got me thinking and got my wheels spinning in a different direction of like oh no this isn't as it seems because laurie is here and nora and kevin both obviously don't know that she committed suicide i don't know if that's what they were going for in that moment yeah, and this is something I, I we're, we're talking about the lorry of it all because I think it it is linked to what's happening with Nora because they still have this relationship apparently in the, the current timeline of the show. She is still her therapist, hired for a pack of cigarettes, likely not paid since. Uh, although maybe she is, who knows? But uh, but maybe she's paid in pigeons somehow or, or doves. But I I don't know ultimately. See, because my read is that it's possible that if it is a lie that Nora is telling that that's the sort of story that you can build through therapy, that that's the the construct, that that is a mental construct that through therapy she may have created in order to make herself feel better about the choice that she didn't make. In other words, take on face value that she doesn't go through the machine and, and she, has a, she has second thoughts because she doesn't want to die. Like that's the reason that she doesn't go through the machine, that she ultimately is scared by the scenario and that maybe the scientist had it right all along and she bails and she calls out and they stop the process and she doesn't go through and she's ashamed and she's ashamed because she can't go through with one thing, but she's ashamed because she can't complete the other thing. Like she's in, in the in-between where she can't go be with her kids because she's too scared to do it or too scared to try it, but she also can't live in this world because she can't move on from the kids. And I do feel like 
that is the story that is told in this finale episode in Microcosm. When she goes up the hill, takes on the beads from the goat and does all that stuff, she gets to a point where she's going to be able to move on. But it seems to me like a fundamental piece of that, if you are in therapy or have a therapist, is for them to say, listen, you made the right call. Like, if you would have gone through there, think of what would have happened. You would have entered a world where none of us were and only they were. And that world would have been dark. It would have been problematic. There would have been less people. Think of all the things that would have happened in that world and your family would have moved on. And then, again, this is this is a scenario where Lori, as the therapist, is bringing something to the table that she that is personal to her because she went and joined a cult. She went and did a thing, right? She did a thing that was her personal pursuing what she thought was right. And she put her life on the line and jeopardized the lives of others. And other people did, in fact, die because of what she did. And she's been struggling with a lot of that. So it seems likely that if she had Lori as a therapist, this is a construct that Lori would have helped her and nudged her into. But I feel like that is all fundamentally impacted by what we know about Lori. And I do think that the the, the reverse suicide, if you will, uh, the, the, the bringing yourself back to life. I mean, that song at the beginning of Certified, Rob, was not don't kill yourself, don't kill yourself. It was all about suicide. So I don't know. It's I feel like to understand current Nora in this timeline, you have to understand more about Lori since that's her therapist. And I just don't know that we have our mind really wrapped around Lori completely because this major change has happened. And I do think that that causes a little bit of a problem. What do you make of the fact that a lot of the discussion for this, you said you thought maybe they had a plan, they were going to write this all along. It sounds like they did, but it sounds like after they wrote it, the writers really, it didn't sit well with them. Yeah, I read in the interview, I think it was that uh, Seppenwall did with uh, Damon Lindelof uh, and, uh, you know, always a, a great job by uh, Alan Seppenwall that there was some talk of like, OK, we needed to see Nora talk to somebody that was going to anchor us. OK, this is actually the real world. And we figured it should be Lori or it should be Erica. And I just don't know why it wasn't Erica. I, I feel like that uh, does she not have a reason to call Erica or do they want to build in that she's been talking to Lori all this time? I mean, if the 2% world was real, does she tell Lori about it? I mean, is Lori the person who can confirm this story? Yeah, that's the part that, that is confusing to me. Or does does we've seen Lori throughout and where we left Lori and certified is Lori was encouraging these crazy people to basically go be crazy. Like you do you, boo boo. Like she's basically saying, You go off and do what you need to do. I'm not gonna stop you. I'm not gonna intercede. I'm not gonna try to talk you off the ledge, tell you you're in the middle of an episode, do any of the things that we've seen her do with Kevin in the past, right? And at the end of Certified, when she meets with Kevin and she gives him the lighter that Jill gave her that says, don't, you know, or remember me or don't forget me, that really seems like finality on her part. And she seems to have reached a point where she is willing, like we probably need to be willing to do, uh, to let the mystery be, to not really push it with these people and not really try to uncover what was happening. So... I don't know. On some level, it's possible that if if Nora does go through the machine, she's not contacting Lori when she's on the other side. She was only she's only going to be able to reach out to Lori after she gets back. And if she reaches out to Lori after she gets back, she has to tell Lori something. Does she tell her I backed out? Does she tell her I went through the machine? I don't. We're never going to know that. Uh, but I, I guess it, uh, uh, we're, we're we're circling back to this idea that. Does it matter? Uh, Luke Keating said, I love how much closure we got in the finale, but I also love that we are left with one final debate, whether Nora is lying or not, about going through to the other place. 
Her story is clouded in the perfect amount of ambiguity, and as you have probably seen online, there's a lot of evidence supporting either side. The beauty of it all, though, is that you can argue it ultimately doesn't matter. Kevin believes Nora. Nora is here, sitting across the table from Kevin, and they are together, present in the moment for probably the first time. It doesn't matter what stories need to be told in order to get them there, because their love for each other is what is true. So... Is that ultimately what your take? Like, how hung up are you, Rob, on whether she was lying or not? Where are you personally with everything? I'm not hung up on that. I, you know, we've uh, touched on this, but either way, it's the same thing. The show ends on sort of like this love story between uh, Kevin and Nora. I mean, it's a shame that they kind of wasted like 25 years when they could have just been together this whole time and been happy. But, you know, we don't need to focus on the negative. I really do feel like that the show in a lot of ways also, and especially in, you know, reading through what Damon Lindelof had to say about this after the fact that anything mysterious from the 28 episodes of The Leftovers, we can chalk up to not being mysterious, that anything that we thought we might believe there could have been something supernatural. And I'm including the 2% world in this, the international assassin hotel. I believe that we can, can sort of pull together. It's just a figment of Kevin's imagination somewhere like deep in his subconscious that he is maybe, uh, you know, like some sort of hallucination. I think that almost any single thing that we sort of got caught up in, Oh, like, what does this mean? What is this? Is Kevin actually this? I think that no, nothing was anything. And uh, so I don't mean to interrupt, but th- this is a really interesting point. And we had a great comment from Trent C about this. And Trent C gets at to the point where Trent is basically saying that what bothered Trent about the story was the return trip. Wouldn't there be a huge influx of people trying to get back? And would these people really be happy with 98 percent of their friends and relatives gone, etc.? But getting to the general point, Trent said, when a show pulls a Lost or Sopranos with an ambiguous ending, it becomes frustrating. I think you can only be ambiguous to a point. And then something is owed to the viewers. My only disappointment with the series as a result was the last episode. It seemed like everything that preceded the finale became unimportant when really some, if not all of the previous events in the series were monumental and life altering to the characters. I don't think you can wipe that particular slate clean just to say, well, we're here now. Who cares how we got here? How do you feel about this? Does the ambiguity of the ending rob rob you of anything or do you need one of these to be true? I I don't need it to be true. I'm just saying that this is an emotionally satisfying ending in terms of these characters. But what I do feel like that the thing that this show will ultimately share with Lost is that upon rewatch, there's a lot of little things that they dangle in front of us along the way that we say, oh, wait, but, but that doesn't, I mean, that never added up what they did. But I think what the show sort of like lives in this worldview of, you know, you are interpreting meaning from that. That was just something that happened. Maybe there's some explanation to it. You're assigning it meaning. We're not assigning it meaning. But I do think that the show kind of did assign meaning to certain things along the way. But they're saying, no, you just interpreted it that way. That was, you know, there's a logical explanation for everything that happened on the show. You're just implying that there is like some sort of like fate or supernatural thing that ended up happening to this point. These people are happy. They got to where they needed to be that just leave it alone. 
Yeah, and season two and three are in a different plane in that regard, right? Because season one doesn't have as much of that. There is the stuff with Kevin Sr. and him hearing voices, and they said this, and they said that. And there is the stuff with Holy Wayne, whether he's a fraud, whether he's not, who's no, who knows what's going on there. But Ghost Patty Levin doesn't reemerge. Uh, she shows up at the end of season one, but she doesn't really reemerge as this thing that's a problem until season two. So I think we really lean into that supernatural stuff in season two and season and one, it doesn't have as much value. But we had Alex Coons uh, suggest after the seventh episode of this season, after Kevin blows up the mythological world, that that was the show on a meta level, saying we're blowing up our mythology, what is real or, that, or not in that world, uh, what that world represents to the show. It doesn't matter because it got nuked. It got blown up. And mm-hmm. so as we approach into the finale, we're going to approach a world where that stuff is not on the table anymore. Yeah, I mean, they did basically wipe the slate clean. I mean, any sort of meaning that we were taking away from the international assassin. And again, those were great hours of television that we enjoyed watching. But I, I don't I don't know if there's any other way you can view that as it was just basically a dream that Kevin ultimately had. And in the interviews that uh, Damon Lindelof has done, I believe it was Alan Sepinwall that asked him, like, well, how was Kevin Sr. able to communicate with Kevin? And he sort of said, well, you know, in Aboriginal culture, you know, that they they believe in sort of like, uh, you know, you can enter some sort of like a uh, meditational spiritual plane and that's how it was going. So just like shooting down this idea that this was some sort of like alternate reality or some sort of, you know, afterlife uh, type setup. So anything that Kevin experienced in the international assassin world was all just in his mind. I don't know how they ever explained the immortality of Kevin. I guess they could just say that, no, like when he got shot, it didn't really hit anything. And, you know, he for, you know, for whatever reason, he can hold his breath for a really long time when he drank the poison or he's just a, a remarkable specimen in so many different ways, Kevin Garvey. But there's uh, any of the magic of this world, anything supernatural, I, I think you just have to explain away. Nothing was supernatural the whole time. Nothing was supernatural the whole time. Uh, I'm not sure about that. Like I, if the show, and, and I feel like, again, I feel like the show has taken on a different turn when they bring in Reza Aslan with season two and they really lean into the religious elements of this. So which is season one, you know, you're talking about the micro world where you're looking at the world of Miracle, Texas, or not Miracle, Texas, of Mapleton, New York, and you're looking at how this small town was impacted by the departure. There and are no miracles seeing- in Miracle, Antonio. <laughs> you're also seeing your I'm John, John Murphy, Murphy. now. I'm old me. John Murphy. Yeah. Nice glasses. Uh, that concerns me uh, that you're John Murphy. Uh, I'm not going to ever meet you in uh, in the animal quarantine room. Uh, that's just something I'm not going to do. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I just uh, I think season one is really different, as I was saying. And I think season two goes into a different realm. And that's fine. Uh, but I think that once they go into that different realm, the, the they change the, the overture, the mission statement, the song, Let the Mystery Be. That's how they kick off uh, every episode of season two. And I think season two is very much about the search for meaning, as you've been talking about, the way we create these constructs when we don't know, uh, and that we need some sort of viable explanation for the things we can't explain, and why that's so much more prominent in a world where the departure occurs, Mm -hmm. or in a world like Miracle Texas, where no one is taken. And so... 
I feel like that has been the central thrust of the show, especially since season two, that we've been focusing on this thing where if we don't have an answer, we're going to look to create an answer. And I think it's so meta and so wonderful that the finale is asking, basically, it tasks us with doing that, or it leaves us in a position where we are going to do that. And of course... I've noticed throughout the context of the feedback, the thing that bothers me, and it's not bothered me when you're doing it, I'm loving it on this podcast, <laughs> but people saying they're sure, they know, they're sure that, that Nora is lying. They're positive. Nora, it's not I think or I feel, it's I know. And I don't think the thing, I think the point is I think you can never know. And that is ultimately, I'm more interested not in people being so convinced or trying to convince me or anyone else that the departure that, that the departure didn't, you know, it happened the way Nora is explaining and that Nora found that out, that Nora went through and came back. I'm less interested in facts that prove or disprove that. I'm more interested in how that impacts the show and whether like Alex Wilpon, you like the first 60 minutes of the thing. And then when we get to that last 15 minutes, the idea that's either that it's even being presented as a possibility takes the wind completely out of the sails. Uh, like, like for example, the comment that we just read, like, you know, like that is something that is, is a hang up for people that people, when they're watching this finale, now that we have the ambiguity, now that we have a possible lie or truth from Nora Durst that maybe does or does not explain it, that it impacts their enjoyment of the show overall, that that Trent C. saying, for example, the ambiguity of the ending, I, I needed some clarity. And I think you articulately said throughout the course of this show, this show has very much been about that. Even though they said they would never give us an explanation, uh, we were always assigning meaning, value, etc. I mean, Rob, we talked way more than we should have on this final season about freaking dogs mm-hmm. and about whether dogs were going to have an impact on this final season. We Lindelof, that's what we call it. We have a verb for it. Yeah, uh, The and dog thing I think is, a, is different where the dog, I feel like the dog thing is a joke, but it, it, that, like the book of Kevin thing, you know, which was really presented and sort of like, uh, is Kevin Garvey this Christ-like figure? And because he does have these supernatural abilities, which were presented to us uh, all through season two, I mean, I think we can walk away and the answer is clearly no, no supernatural. Yeah, I mean, no supernatural. It's, it's fascinating. No supernatural for you. I do. <laughs> no, I do. You're the supernatural Nazi. I do think, uh, which is a terrifying concept and something AMC's probably already greenlighted for a show. Indiana Jones uh, shot down all of the uh, supernatural Nazis. Fair point. Fair point. Uh, why does it have to be snakes? I hate these guys. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know that I'm. I'm fully on board with the show ultimately saying there's nothing supernatural. Uh, I. I like you, uh, on some level. I even if Nora isn't lying, I, it doesn't bother me. But the way that I look at it, and I've always looked at it is that in our world, when we encounter things that we can't explain, uh, the explanation that may be coming that we just don't understand is scientific. It's mathematic. It's something that we don't have a grasp on yet, but that we eventually will understand. And granted, that is a lot different now, that we have advanced science so much that we don't know these sorts of things. But we still don't know, for example, what causes viruses to mutate or certain cancers or uh, male pattern baldness or any of the things that Mm -hmm. are these scientific mysteries that we could ascribe to these 
these uh, supernatural things or we could ascribe to some kind of faith-based thing because we don't have a scientific answer, but we may eventually get a scientific answer. So I don't mind that the the departure, which seems like a God-based thing, could also have a scientific explanation. I don't mind that somebody could have cracked it. I don't mind that they could have created a machine which did send her to the place where the departed people go. That part of the story doesn't bother me. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, does it bother you? Does it bother you that the show has taken a stance in your mind, which seems to say there is no supernatural? Bother is the wrong word, because I feel like that I'm coming off as uh, too negative. I think I'm a skeptic, but I don't think that I'm, uh, you know, that this was a wonderful show that we talked about the uh, Sopranos finale and the Lost finale. And I think that of those three, I think that this is far and away the best of those. The Sopranos finale uh, really didn't sit great with me. And in a lot of ways, I do feel like that. uh, Anthony, remember that like 20,000 word essay that people wrote? Is Tony dead? Is Tony alive? Oh, yeah. The uh, the communion with the rings. Right. The I, I do think that this Nora, you know, did she lie? Did she not lie? I do feel like that this has like a similar tones to this, but this was a much more emotionally satisfying closure. And I do feel like that when you make the parallels of this to Lost, that the finale of Lost and, you know, Lost spoilers here, I think does confirm there was supernatural things in this world. And I think that we say, well, like that was so stupid that you know many people were unsatisfied with sort of getting that closure so i do feel like that what they did try to do was to split the baby even it like much like nora we're gonna say like sure i'll split the baby whatever i don't care let me go through and sort of you can sort of like have your cake and eat it too here but just from where i'm standing i i don't believe that you can have that read about there being some sort of a other supernatural element to everything that went on and still have everything make sense that was presented to us you sort of have to just explain everything otherworldly away what do you think about the meta aspect of that uh, as regards to Nora's story? And this is from Alex Jankovic, uh, a.k.a. user Jankinator, who sent us great feedback all season long. Alex says, inevitably, one of the most talked about parts of the finale is Nora's story about the other side. Is her story accurate? Is she lying? Is she delusional? There's evidence to support both sides, as well as some thoughts from Lindelof, all of which I'm sure you'll cover. But I have a different take. Does Nora's story about the other side even matter? This season, we've repeatedly seen people look to faith in the supernatural for faith and purpose only to be left without any answers. This isn't to say that supernatural or faith-based things don't exist. Maybe it does, maybe they don't, but that people need to take agency in living their life. In Nora's case, what we see that she wants is closure and to be with her children, even if it means going through a crazy sci-fi device. Whether or not Nora went through and realized she didn't belong to those on the other side, or if she yelled stop right before the machine was activated and stayed on this side, she came to the same conclusion. Nora had built up in her head what she thought she wanted, what she thought would make her happy. Instead of focusing on the here and now, she came up with this crazy goal, rather than accepting her loss, much like Matt in episode 5, coming up with a crazy plan instead of accepting reality, or Kevin's mission in the hotel in episode 7. In the end, Nora does not find closure, but she does find happiness by accepting the loss of her children and by working on a relationship with Kevin. And so I'm wondering if you see us similarly situated as to what Alex observes as as he thinks Nora is situated, which is that we are not accepting uh, the fact that we're not getting our supernatural answers and we have to deal with that. We don't get the closure on any angle of that, but we can move on and just focus on what is at hand and focus on uh, taking agency 
with the parts of it that we can explain with the Kevin and Nora. Do you think that the Nora supernatural stuff is too inextricably linked, that the Kevin supernatural stuff is too inextricably linked for us to be able to move on and find closure? Or or is this still going to be something that I, I'm, I'm concerned? I, I know you don't want to come off as a hater. I just want to make I, I just want, I'm interested to know if Nora can move on even without getting the closure, and if Nora can find happiness, is that the message of this show for us as viewers and for us in life in general, that you're not going to get these answers? You can chalk it up to being supernatural. You can say supernatural is not real, but you need to find happiness with what's in front of you. Right. I mean, if you want to enjoy this show, which I, I very much do, you have to be Kevin Garvey at the end of the show. You have to say, of course, I believe you. I'm here. I'm here. I made it to the end of this show. This uh, feels emotionally satisfying. I'm not going to go back. I really believe if you did do a rewatch of this show, there'd be at least a half a dozen things that you just walk away from. Well, there's no way that this makes sense or is explained or any or you would just like uh, you'd make yourself crazy if you ever <laughs> attempted to do that. I think you just have to say crazy like, white fellow thinking. Yeah, this feels good. This feels emotionally satisfying. Uh, it's ending on what a seemingly happy ending. And I just have to walk away from this as being happy with it. And again, I feel like that the meta the meta thing there that Nora's experiencing and that we're experiencing as viewers, I think is the message of the show in many respects, that life is going to present you with things that are inexplicable, that you're going to feel like Matt, you're going to feel like Senior, you're going to feel like Junior, you're going to feel like Nora Durst, you're going to feel like Lori Garvey, you're going to feel like John, you're going to feel like all the characters that have these moments that you can align yourself emotionally with, whether you were somebody that was impacted by suicide or loss or anything like that, or you feel feel like you screwed up a big thing like you're going to have to find the happiness in the moments and you're not always going to be able to answer or get closure on everything and I think that's what the message of the show is in general that's certainly the message that the show presents throughout the course of the finale I can completely concur with you I, one of the things that was fascinating to me about the beginning of this season is I had just watched rewatched seasons one and two yeah and what I, my memory of season one was is that Kevin Senior the part the stuff with Kevin Senior is annoying and it's going to be annoying because it is the on the lost level of of like mysteries that aren't going to be answered like the national geographic and like all this random stuff with kevin senior it's it's it, this he's crazy he's a crazy person and we know that he's a crazy person we saw him not being a crazy person the departure didn't tap him into the god voice or anything like that like he's just nuts and the concern I would have is that there's no way for the show to make that matter, to make any of that relevant if you rewatch. And we got to the beginning of season three, and I found myself completely incorrect, that the idea that Kevin Garvey Jr. was actually potentially a savior, that there was some sort of potential messianic concern, or there was a possibility of him being connected to this thing, then I was like, holy cow, I got to go back and rewatch all of those conversations with Senior, because... Maybe he really is tapped in or was tapped into the idea that Junior was special and that now that we're presenting and putting on full display the possibility that Junior was special, all of that stuff actually matters now. And I'm impressed with the show finding a way to make all the garbage that is just seemingly nonsense mystery stuff in season one 
actually have a merit to it. And now, as you're pointing out, that we get to the end and Kevinism, there's no answer on it. It's not clear. It doesn't ultimately matter in the course of the story. The book of Kevin doesn't matter. Right. The, the, the flashback or flash forwards with Kevin or the nun asking about Kevin, they're in no way related to Kevin becoming a religious figure or Kevinism spreading. It's all about the micro. I do wonder how it will play the third time through or the fourth time through when you're like, okay, now I'm watching all these scenes with these people and this is just gobbledygook. This is not going to ultimately matter by the end of the series. And even though I think that's what the the whole show has wanted us to feel all along, that there are going to be things like religious mumbo jumbo or uh, things that we don't understand in the spiritual world or personal loss that we experience or, or undergo that we don't feel we understand the reason why. Uh, that it ultimately doesn't matter if you're able to find happiness in the here and now. The I'm here now, I believe this to be true because because I'm here. I have to progress and I'm not going to dwell on things in the past or get hung up on them. That I do feel is the ultimate message of the show. So I think mission accomplished on that level, but it does feel like some portion of the audience is going to be tuned in for the mysteries. And I think what Trent's comment was about feeling a little bit let down by that ambiguity in light of the fact that there had been some investment in these mysteries it's not the same as lost in that same interview that Seppenwall did with uh with Lindelof Lindelof points out that lost was this ma- I mean there's so many episodes of lost there's over a hundred episodes so of course it's a much bigger thing and there are many more things that come to bear uh and their leftovers doesn't bear. have as much yeah polar bear the leftovers doesn't have as much dirty laundry that they have to clean they don't have as many things that they have as many loopholes as they have to tie up but to the extent that they had any, they didn't really make them clear. And I think it's fascinating that Kevin's heart problem, for example, is a heart problem. He's not immortal. He has a heart issue. He's got a pacemaker in his heart. He's not going to go to these crazy lengths and die again to go to another world because he now knows he can probably actually die and that maybe he had some heart issue all along that was either a consequence of his multiple deaths or perhaps explained how he was able to emerge from these deaths. And we had some questions about that. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick asked, is there a specific explanation behind how Kevin could have died three times and still be alive? Is there a parallel behind his deaths and the fact that Rasputin, I don't know why Brendan's bringing in Rasputin, (laughs) was killed in three different ways before he died for good. Rasputin was real. He was poisoned. He was real. He was poisoned, hung, and shot. So there's a historical parallel or a precedent for what Kevin Kevin goes through and survives that doesn't have a supernatural explanation. Does this help or hurt the case that the finale is in the real world? Or can we read Kevin's reaction at the dinner table to Nora's story is him coming to the realization that he's finally died for good. And this is where he's supposed to be. Do you buy into any reading, even though I think it's been shot down by the writers and by Lindelof, do you buy into any reading that includes that this finale is not in a real world? I don't think that you can have that interpretation based on anything that the creative team has said. I mean, is it possible? I mean, if if you want to acknowledge like, hey, I can view this show any way I want. You don't get to tell me. Then I, I'd say, OK, fine. Then you have a point. But in terms of like the takeaway from like if you put any sort of stock in what the creators say, they have not even given that an ounce of possibility in terms of anything they've said in an interview. Yeah, and I, I think that that's true. And I think the the problem that people have, and Andrew Humphrey uh, contacted us about this and said they either lied to us about Lori killing herself or Nora's whole episode was her actually dead from the machine. And she was in some in-between world waiting to move on. 
And the thing is, I think she wasn't an in-between world waiting to move on. I just don't think it was a physical mm-hmm. uh, or psychological. I think it was more of a psychological one. I think she ha- undergoes this great thing in this finale where she literally has to take the sins of others on to herself. She puts the beads on to save the scapegoat. Uh, and that that is a part of what we're witnessing and viewing, but that it isn't, it, it is only metaphoric, that it isn't something that is happening that she died. And so I do understand why why people were meant to believe that. Again, we talked about how when Lori shows up, they're getting a lot of mileage out of the fact that we believed her to be dead. And they're getting a lot of mileage out of Kevin lying and not telling the truth about the story. And the mileage they're getting is us the first time viewing this finale as some sort of fake world. But I don't think that that is meant to be that is meant to be tied into the possibility that this world ultimately actually isn't real. And I think the Rasputin thing, I know I kind of joked about it, but uh, I think the uh, there's there's more than one comparison can be made with Kevin Garvey and Rasputin if you know anything about uh, Rasputin, but uh, but yeah he has he had some unique biometrics too. Uh, yeah, the ultimate the ultimate upshot of this is that maybe there is a reason. Like Rasputin is a good person to point to as a quote unquote unkillable person who probably was just we don't know the full story there. We don't know the full science. We we weren't 1918 or whatever that was uh, was not the same as our current uh, scientific a hundred years later. So. I think that it's interesting to point out that there are even examples throughout history of people like Kevin Garvey uh, who were well endowed and couldn't die. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think that that's fascinating. Uh, what about Rob? Is there any is there any one key factor? Because uh, we we didn't. I don't want to downplay. We got a lot of people sending in their own pet theories about why Nora's story was a lie, and we haven't hit all of them. But is there any one element of it that is truly dispositive to you, other than the fact that we didn't see it? with the stylistic choice, with the flashback? Is there any one detail like the fact that the guy, why didn't he just make a machine or why did she go back to Australia? What's the one big sticking point for you? Okay, for me, just uh, because I've spent a lot of time thinking about the 2% world and how it worked. And so I guess so in this scenario, all right, we have the actual universe, which is like really big, not like it's not Earth, not just Earth. So the entire universe, had some sort of what mitosis where it ended up sort of like splitting into two and just on this one planet and maybe on planets all over the the you know in the entire universe uh this also happened uh don't, with the don't you dare bring aliens into this rob i'm gonna get triggered like okay. i did with Fargo. i'm not gonna talk about what's going on on the other worlds Antonio. okay but then people like in their clothes uh they ended up uh, like uh traveling to other places but so there's like a double of every inanimate object in both places so that's that's exactly the same but antonio talk to me about the animals okay because from what we understand that two percent of the dogs didn't disappear right yeah, we don't like. We heard some animals disappeared because wasn't the chicken that Kevin Senior talked about, Tony or whatever, wasn't that chicken part of a group that Tony was the only one that didn't disappear? That there were some animals that were lost there. So did the wildlife also disappear? Like, did two percent of the bees disappear? I don't know the answer to that because okay. are you saying that that the shadow world would not be sustainable without animals? I'm wondering. That's a, that's a big question that I have. 
<laughs> I like this. I like this. This is the climate change angle. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a good question. It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. There, there. And, the, and just the but did two percent of the foliage also? Disappear? I mean, at what point? Like, what is the like? Was it only only humans? Like only mammals? That to me, uh, I just don't think that the two percent world is uh, is feasible. It, this is uh, this is fascinating because I I agree like I agree that there is a lot about that story that doesn't make total sense to me and I think the only reason that I don't necessarily care is I've always been on the level on that level about this show that I actually just don't want the show to lean too heavily into either direction that the concern that we would see a post apocalyptic uh, world with Nora in the future was not something I wanted to see because I didn't want to see the show really go bonkers off the wall I like the way the show goes bonkers off the world wall in like a metaphysical sense or in that kind of plane but to change the actual rules of the the universe in in question that's the part i don't have a problem with and the two percent world does do that to an extent and that's where i start to pull at the threads of it josiah ward sent in a very interesting question in this realm because you and i are sitting here and the more we start to think about it the more we can say things like i don't understand the two percent world like if the if the guy if the two percent world was dark why would lucas still live in mapleton like i I call him lucas that's his house of cards character name i don't know why i did that why would why would nora's husband uh still go on living in that world with their kids like why would he live in mapleton why wouldn't they all go to at least where two percenters were huddling why is it this weird like hellscape where no one is in communities or new communities haven't formed how is he possibly happy in a mapleton that's grown over and dark i I, why wouldn't he go to new york city like that's the part i don't get among other things but as we start to tug at these threads i hope it doesn't impact our and that's what we've talked about for the majority of this podcast hope it doesn't impact our enjoyment of the finale but josiah ward said if nora is lying which i think she is what does that say about their relationship moving forward? Can a relationship or even a marriage be a positive thing moving forward when one or more of the partners is lying about a huge thing? Does this lend, then lend credence to the thought that Kevin does know she's lying and just doesn't care? And again, I bring this up because of the meta aspects of this and whether or not we know she's lying, whether we'll care or not, or whether we're able to move on for this. What do you think it says about their relationship and their ability to move on if... She is lying. Isn't Kevin at some point, Rob, going to start to tug at these same threads? I mean, it's certainly possible that Nora Durst, much like Kevin Garvey, had her own psychotic break. I mean, I think that you certainly could say Nora Durst, she went into the machine or she thought she went into the machine. She thought she had this experience. She came out, you know, they left her for dead somewhere. She woke up thinking that this is, I've been through, you know, this Wizard of Oz type thing where it's like, oh, oh my God, uh, I went through this whole thing and and uh, you were there and you were there and you were there and now I'm back, thank God. And then she can go on with her life. I mean, it is certainly possible that Nora Durst ended up thinking she had this experience. I, I don't believe that that's the case. I, I don't think that we are. It's our place to say whether Kevin and Nora can have a functional relationship if Nora is choosing to lie to Kevin about this one thing. If he wants to be with her and he loves her and all he wants in this life is to be with her, you know, what the hell does he care if she wants to cling to this story? Like, it's like, ah, uh, you know what? I've wanted to be with you for the last 30 years. But if you're going to tell me this, you know, whole cockamamie story, I, I got to leave. Uh, you know, I got to go on and do something else with the rest of my days. 
Yeah, and it's the meta part of that that's interesting to me because I completely agree with you about what you're saying in terms of Kevin. But are are we not Kevin as viewers? Like, shouldn't we be Kevin as viewers? Is the show expecting us to be Kevin as viewers? Is the show taking that for granted? Uh, and that's the part I'm concerned about, is, is if we live in a world where Nora did lie, or if we live in a world where she told the truth, when we as viewers, as Trent C. in, in the comment, uh, and as we've talked about uh, with nuking a lot of the mythology and you believing that ultimately the show is saying, no, it's 100%. Like... Are we able to be Kevin at this point? Are we or are we going to be too hung up on the threads? And that's the part that I'm most interested in. I just don't think you can. I, I don't think you can enjoy the show and get hung up on the threads. And in just in terms of Kevin Garvey, in terms of the International Assassin Hotel, I mean, it's my opinion that that didn't happen either. He didn't go anywhere. Patty Levin's ghost wasn't following him around. All of that was, as Laurie said to him, you were on a psychotic break. The same guy who thought he saw Evie, Jenny, tried to chase her around Australia. I think that that was the show trying to say, like, no, this is what's really going on with this guy. He's actually lost his mind along the way. And, uh, you know, he's a nice man, but he believes things or he thinks he sees things. And, you know, this sort of psychotic break or this hallucination that he ends Ends up having when he has these near-death experiences I, I don't think he's traveling anywhere or going to another realm he's just sort of like having uh, visions uh, in his own brain hallucinations uh, when he's out like that and they have given him some clarity on things but it's real to him I mean, who are we to say that it didn't actually happen if he believes it you know Nora shouldn't take that away from him if he believes that's something he actually went and did yeah, and uh, the psychotic break part of that is certainly an interesting angle that th- they are they could be potentially more similar than they are different, and that I think you're right uh, on some level, and I think the the part that I'm most uh, most compelled by is the second visit, the third visit, I should say, to Kevin's in between world, and how that really, and we didn't, you and I haven't talked about this, but how that really seemed to ultimately confirm that Kevin was manifesting a lot of it, that he very very conveniently saw all the people he needed to see in that world in a, in a unique way that it was all very connected in, at this point in time, not to helping Patty Levin or moving on from Patty, but that it was actually very much connected to his own brain and his own psyche, such that he manifested a twin of himself, who, by the way, had a heart problem. Uh, and ultimately, that that was it was much more of a Kevin thing, that Patty Levin only even showed up in that story because he spoke her name and said, Patty Levin, like, that's my secretary of defense. And so this is in that in that realm i the second the third time through a much more personal less i got stuck in this hotel where other people's lives are also in between like neil like whoever was smuggling that heart around like everything that was going on there when mary got her balloons uh and all of that that this is a world where other people like virgil who are dead uh, are are there as well and if they drink the water they'll stay and if they don't they won't it seemed much different that when we finally ended up in a point where it was really all about what was going on inside Kevin's head. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just that it was real to him. But I mean, I, I don't believe that it's the official worldview of the show that, you know, this is actually a, you know, a metaphysical place that he went to. 
Yeah, it it just uh, I I'm okay with that. Uh, the God's tongue thing is still a hang up, as Seppenwell said. Uh, Kevin never saw what Christopher Sunday actually looked like, as far as I know. Kevin Senior could have described him to him, mm-hmm. but that that part you know is is not a hundred percent clear to me either. Uh, but yeah, there are some parts of that that can't be explained. But, but they try. I, I mean, like, they're trying with like, well, you know, Aboriginal culture sure. and sort of like sure. uh, you know that they, they're throwing enough you know uh, stuff at the wall to say like uh, you know the, the you know helicopters could have come and dropped supplies on the island uh, for the Dharma Initiative for many years uh, to come. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly, uh, you know, reason to believe that, you know, they could have had a food supply being delivered for quite, you know, sort of just like trying to like, uh, that doesn't really pass the smell test, but they're they're trying. So this is a, yeah, that's interesting because it, you, you're saying it doesn't matter if it, if they believe it, if they believe it. And so the psychotic yeah, break is a Kevin, good, yeah. Yeah, Nora and Kevin. And this psychotic break is a good example of how Nora could believe that her story happened and have it not actually happened. Of course, if she pulled the plug and said, no, stop, in the machine, and she knows she didn't go in the machine, then that's something different entirely. That's her actually creating and manifesting a lie in order for some some cover-up. And we had a question from John Santucci that talks about how uh, John ultimately is of the mind that Nora did back out of the machine. John points out the show dropping several hints the main thing being the fact that Nora almost shouts uh, right before we see her being engulfed in the liquid probably that would have caused them to stop this uh, and that because Matt and the scientists could hear her they would have stopped that uh, and that Lori and her near suicides and calling the machine a suicide machine could mean that Nora backed out as well but John uh, uncovers something that I think we've teased at a little bit here today but we haven't really fully delved into John says if Nora didn't go through the machine then what or who did you think her elaborate tale of her journey to the other side was actually for and john says i have a suspicion that the elaborate tales by unreliable leftovers narrators were the things they told themselves to cover up their character flaws and deep psychic pain and weren't the literal truth we've just talked about that with kevin and kevin's world but in a world where nora isn't psychotic and where this is actually just a lie it's not a something that she experienced it's a lie that she told to cover something up who is the story for and why before i answer that question can i just touch on the first part about whether or not nora ended up bailing out of the machine please do i believe that that is what she did and i think another thing that points to this is we see the scientists uh that she talks through throughout season three the women that she stalks they interview her and they conclude she's not right for this And at other times they say, you know, um, basically, you know, I forget exactly what they, but but they, they cast doubt on her. This isn't what you want. We don't believe you. We don't believe you. She's like, absolutely. What are you talking about? Like, this is what I want to do. Stop telling me that I don't want this. There was something about her, something in her profile that made them say, nope, this is going to be a dead end with her. Don't go through with this. She forces them to do it. And I do believe that ultimately whatever the, their research told them about who was a good profile for this. I think that they were right, that she was not going to be a person who was going to be able to go through with this. And that's why that they put up such a resistance to letting her go through the machine. Makes a lot of sense. That goo is probably pretty expensive with the metal flakes. 20K to do it. Yeah, 20K to do it. But but so the second part of that, though, is that, okay, so if you accept that she didn't go through with it and we're not in psychotic break land with Nora Durst, that she affirmatively backed out and chose to back out and knows that she backed out, 
Why the elaborate story? Who was that for? I think it was more for Kevin than for herself. Uh, I just think that it was more to put him at ease. And like, you know, I had reason for staying here. My life was fine. I was content with everything that happened. And I didn't just abandon you. Go try to, you know, make you think I was dead or in some other plane. And then just be like, uh, you know, raising pigeons in Australia for the last 25 years when we could have been together. That she felt like she bailed. She never got her closure. She went to do the thing. She went to see her kids. It didn't happen. Uh, she saw her kids, and ultimately it didn't happen the way she wanted it to. Right. So she goes and gets this machine created. Uh, it, it makes some sense. Do you think she would have come up with that on the spot then, or do you buy into my theory that if it is, if she is lying, that this is some product of therapy, that this is probably something she's talked out with Lori, and part of the reason we don't know is it's doctor-patient privilege. It's interesting. Um, could she have sort of worked uh, Work this out. I mean, it, this could have been a story that she's told, you know, more than one person. I mean, she could have told, you know, uh, worked out this story to tell Lori. So she might have had it at the ready as opposed to something that she developed in therapy. It might have been a story that she built up to tell Lori because obviously Lori knew she was going to be going through with the machine. So, you know, I think that that might have been an embarrassing conversation to call Lori and say, oh, I didn't do it. Oh, I got out, uh, you know. Well, it, fit, it fits really entirely with Nora Durst as a character that that would happen because one of the things that she's always done is lie to cover up vulnerability and not told the truth and been honest about vulnerability. Right. That's the thing that she's always covered up. And that's the thing that the brilliance of Carrie Coon's real performance in this show throughout are those moments when the facade drops, when the rock thrower is gone, when the, uh, the truth teller is not in the room, when she very meekly to Erica, for example, just says, hi. Uh, and she's unable to complete like complete thoughts and sentences when she's so vulnerable. And that's the part that she's hiding from people. And so, yeah, that's the part the scientists probably recognize, right? Like that they recognize that there was this vulnerability to her that was not really her true nature, that, that the facade that, that she was presenting to them wasn't real. Yeah. So it tracks. It tracks that she would make up that story to cover up the guilt of not actually going through with it and feeling cowardly and feeling like she had an opportunity to go be with her kids and not be with her kids. That's actually a lot of logical reasoning for why, if, if you thought about it, if you sat down before you went in that machine and you thought, why shouldn't I do this? What would come up would be, let's say I go to that other world where they are. It's only going to be populated by the people that were de that were departed. It's not going to have all the other people in the world there. So if, the, if it's the world with only 2% of the people in it, or if they're in some great field, I don't belong there. They have probably moved on with their lives. They've probably aged up. They've probably moved on. My husband was already cheating on me. Why do I want to run back across time to be with him? Like I, And you have to also keep in mind, this is a Nora Durst who... We saw this season, she went back to visit one of her other children, right? Mm -hmm. She went back to visit Lily, and she went to talk to Lily, and I don't know if then later on she realized that that was a really bad idea, and that it was causing problems for her and Lily. There is that scene where she talks about how she didn't even know who I was, she didn't recognize That's me. That's interesting. I, I didn't uh, tie those two things together. That's a good call. Yeah, I mean, so that is, uh, sometimes I find these things while I'm talking, mm -hmm. a lot of the time, right? Yeah. I swear to God. No, but that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, so, so I need to like work in a job where I could just talk and come up with things while I'm talking. Yeah. That's my best No, work, because apparently. it's really a smart point because it's either A, you know, it illustrates what Nora does when she's in that situation, or B, provides sort of like the springboard for her to creatively write this other story about seeing her actual kids. 
or a trampoline, I guess, in this case. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because she's experienced this thing where she got past that. She got past the Lily element of that by realizing I don't belong in that that person's life anymore. Uh, And that I had a moment with them. That moment was gone. I don't belong there anymore. Whatever is going on with Lily's life, it isn't my life now. And I do think that that is uh, that could potentially be part of a world where when she thinks about why she shouldn't get in the machine, she shouldn't do it. I don't think that if if you buy that she calls stop on it, I don't think that that was what she was contemplating in that moment. If she calls stop at all, I think she calls stop because she was scared. And I think the difficult thing for Nora Durst has always been being mm-hmm. willing to admit fear and cowardice. You know, I think that that's, the, that's a huge note for that character. I think one of the fascinating elements of this, though, is that Nora Durst doesn't exist without Carrie Coon. And uh, we had a message from R. Philly, our great friend R. Philly, and he points out, Lindelof spoke extensively in his interviews about how his intentions of whether Nora was telling the truth when he wrote the script is almost irrelevant now that Carrie Coon has played the scene with her own intention in mind. He said they never discussed it. And as of now... He he feels she is the best person to judge the veracity of Nora's story. I don't care if you guys think it's true or false, but what do you think about the writer's intention versus actors in general? What do you think about this, Rob, that the fundamental, whether it's true or not, rests not in the writing or in the decision of the show, but in the in the actual performance and in Carrie Coon? I think that's just a nice thing that uh, people who are the you know uh, showrunners say about the actors on the show. I mean, in the interview with Alan Steppenwall, he asked Damon Lindelof, do you know if Nora was telling the truth or not? And he said, 100%. So don't try to sell me. Well, actually, I have no idea. It really is Carrie Coon, who's the ultimate decider of this show. We left it up to her. So who knows? (laughs) Well, what's fascinating about that is in in those same discussions that Lindelof is having, he is saying that Lori's performance in the in the suicide boat, the way she looked when she was riding off in the in the uh, the dawn of the uh, of the seven year anniversary on that boat, the look on her face, the way she played her half of the conversation with Jill and Tommy, all influenced their decision to not have Lori be dead and that it was the actress and her own uh, inability to come to grips with it doesn't sound like and I'm, I don't want to criticize but it sounds like it's difficult to work on some level uh, on the final season of The Leftovers mm-hmm. I'd love to uh, because we, we the interviews that that, uh, that Josh had an interview on The Hollywood Reporter um, with Liv Tyler uh, and Liv Tyler was basically saying look I, had, I have no clue I could never right. really wrap my head around Meg to begin with and I have no clue why she was there in episode seven i was really just playing it straightforward i had no secondary agenda Mm -hmm. i don't know what i was doing on this show yeah and Lori garvey herself uh amy brenneman talked about how she did not agree with the suicide when she read it she was like i don't get this this is not how i've been playing this character i don't feel like this is organic i don't feel like this is a place she would have gotten to and it took a lot of hemming and hawing for them to convince her that that she was going to commit suicide that the actor herself the actor herself didn't feel like it was earned and that it didn't belong Mm-hmm. And so it was her performance that that replicated that. But to me, that almost makes it sound like the actor is calling an audible of the, the show. And I just feel like, again, that's like they, I think they changed their mind of what they wanted to do. And they say, like, oh, no, Amy Brenneman's her performance. It was so it was so fantastic. That's why we knew we had to change it after we saw that. So, again, it's sort of like, you know, uh, having a again, and I know nothing and I'm wrong about everything all the time. But to me, that's what it sounds like where, you know, they're sort of like, you know, justifying a creative 
positive change and giving a compliment to and a well-earned compliment to uh, the actor. Yeah, I think that that's that's a huge part of it. There is a, there is a third example which is interesting in this is that. The Lori, Kevin, Nora of it all. If you buy Nora's story that she's back and this is the world that they live in and she's been hiding from Kevin this whole time and talking to Lori this whole time, then Lori comes off a little bit questionable in terms of her holding out for her privilege. And it's a little bit wrapped up with the idea that, uh, that, that Nora summarizes, don't be mad at her. She's my therapist. She's not allowed to tell. But put yourself in Lori's shoes. You know Kevin Garvey is going to Australia two weeks every year right. and walking around like a madman with a picture of somebody claiming she's still alive and this is like the big thing in his life. Aren't you a real jerk to your ex-husband at that point for not at least trying to help him get into a different place with this or not telling Nora? Like, listen, let this guy off the freaking hook. You're back. He is carrying this huge torch for you. Find a way to make this work. And apparently there was a line that was cut out of the finale where Kevin Garvey was saying, I don't tell anyone where I'm going every year. Like I tell them I'm mountain climbing or fishing or some stupid shit. And then I go back. Uh, So there was a line that was protecting Lori there that they cut. And the reason they cut it is Justin Thoreau didn't like the line. He didn't think it made sense. He didn't think it was something his character would say. And when he got there on the day and tried to say it, it didn't sound right coming out of his mouth. So they cut it. So there is an example of at least according to what Lindelof is saying of an actor and the actor's performance fundamentally impacting how the story is uh, is told and how the characters come across in the story as a result of that line not really fitting with what the actor wanted to say. So I do think it's possible. I do think it's possible, but I also agree with you that there's some element of this that is them giving a lot of credit to the actors and it's a nice compliment. Yeah, and I don't want to make it seem like that, you know, there's not there's never a time where the actor has a a say in, you know, what's going on with their character, but you you know, the I, that I believe that, you know, uh, the writers and the showrunners, you know, make important decisions and there's like tweaks that the, you know, that the characters and the act like if if you could if an actor could ever like, uh, you know, change whether or not their character Character dies on a show based on their performance. I think that you would uh, rarely see the actor side on that. No, I think that my character should die here. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, and so that's the part I'm not sure about. Uh, that sometimes when you have these longer shows, characters ask to be killed, mm-hmm, of course. Sure. Uh, they want to go on and do something else. There's two episodes left. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is not the same thing. Right. So who knows exactly what's going on there. But uh, Amy Brenneman come from a position where she's uh, she's been an executive producer. She created Judging Amy. Like That was her thing. That was her character. So she is not without... She's not just an actor. Uh, sure. She's a person who... Who has has hot takes? Justin Thoreau, also not just an actor. Justin Thoreau, an accomplished writer. Uh, so there is that, uh, and it's hard to say. Do these people who aren't just actors, not to downplay the influence or role of actors, but these people who are already probably bringing a lot of those mindsets into these roles, do they have that impact? But again, it's two episodes left, so I don't really know uh, what the goal with that is. But I do think that. I think generally speaking, and this is to put a bow on this a little bit, I think generally speaking uh, that we ultimately have 
put ourselves in a position where uh, I think we're still, you know, this is not a, a negative take at all. Like we're still very pleased with the finale. Rob, you and I were both heavily, heavily invested in Lost. And I haven't heard as much of, I, you are not on Lost Lives as much as I was in the aftermath of 10 years later and all these things talking about Lost in that regard. But I haven't heard as much about your dissatisfaction with the show or satisfaction. But it sounds to me like you're satisfied with the leftovers in a way I think a lot of us weren't satisfied with Lost. Yeah, I'm certainly satisfied uh, with the ending. Uh, in terms of there being sort of like one major sort of story that was really uh, given, it was like this was a that it was so emotionally well done. I think that Lost still works on that same level, but it's one of the reasons why I've never gone back to Lost, where it's like at the end is like, Oh, okay. They were just like uh, making stuff up as they went along, and there was no ever, you know, nothing ever like really upon scrutiny makes sense in that world. The emotional notes certainly do, and the character uh, notes do in Lost. It's just that uh, I think the same thing is here, and I think it's actually probably even you know bigger, uh, you know, highs and lows here in uh, these uh, twenty-eight episodes of the leftovers. But in terms of a rewatch of this show. I, I would feel the same thing. It's sort of like if you want to go through it for the feels, sure, go for it. But in terms of like, uh, you know, oh, OK, I get, the, you know, I, I just don't think that the show is going to work on that level. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's the uh, the the part that I think people's mileage will vary. But I I will say I'm not sensing the the general frustration uh, at all. Not on the same level. The audience is smaller. It's everything Lindelof said. I do think it's fascinating. There are a couple polls on Reddit that I saw quick takes of that are basically just less, was Nora telling the truth or was Nora lying? And both of them are like 55. She was not telling the truth. 45. She was she was telling the truth. So or we don't know. Like it's. It's not quite split down the middle. More people seem to believe that she was not telling the truth than do, but it isn't like all like 80% in one direction that I've seen. And I think that's great. I think that's why well, we're a divided country, Antonio. Oh boy. Red States, <laughs> blue States. It's a different, uh, a different take. <laughs> which I guess. is which so, man. Yeah. What would, uh, what would elections be like in that post departure world, Rob, where the 2%, the, uh, the 2% universe, not the, not the skim milk universe. Uh, what would, what would, what would the world be like in that 2% world? Like, I, I don't like, that's the part for me that is, as you, as you point out with the foliage and the animals, like that's the part for me that's most confusing about her lie. Like why is her family still living in Mapleton? How right. is her family You would think still that people would huddle up, especially considering like they're not on some sort of like self-sustained farm or anything like that. Like it's not like, well, we right. can't afford to live anywhere else in this economy. Uh, you would think like uh, that you could basically like go, you know, set up wherever. Why not go to a man, one of these mansions? I mean, who's, uh, who's police? this Kevin's gone <laughs> right and uh, and yeah exactly like Kevin's gone uh, let's just post up here like none of that really makes a ton of sense and a lot a lot of her story doesn't make sense but the truth is like a lot of what Kevin Garvey said didn't make sense and whether or not we viewed it on the level and, and that's this gets at what we were talking about this whole time whether or not we viewed it on the level of psychotic break or not like it ha- it was real to him and that's all we need to know uh, I think to to pull away from it I, I 
the show is not going to it's not going to change how the show existed if it was true or not ultimately like we never i don't know we never really got some firm confirmation on that so i i think that i like how it is i like how it is i but that's the problem that i have with the two percent world is the more i think about you gotta it let the mystery be antonio don't think about it too that's much what it's I'm like saying. okay that's what oh, I'm this saying. This is good. And just walk away. Yeah, so much of this is meta. Don't look back. So we're here now. We're here now. Like, that's what matters. And I, I love that. I love that it's a, I can understand why that might be too cute for certain people, but I, I love that aspect of it, that we don't need to pull at Nora's, the, th- the threads of Nora's story in order to know whether we enjoyed the finale or not, or whether we're in a position where we can move on in happiness and be satisfied with where they're going. And I think that's a, that's a key part of that. But moving on from that, Rob, let's get into some quick hits. Let's get into some, uh, some hot takes or some other takes unrelated to uh, what we've talked about this. so far. What do you, what do you have? What are, what are some of your quick hits or hot All takes right. that you want to hit before we move on? Quick hits. This is classic Rob stuff uh, coming up. Uh, I believe that Nora actually was living in a dystopian future. Something terrible has happened, Antonio. <laughs> what has happened, Rob? <laughs> Why does Nora live in a house uh, like uh, she's from the Millerite era? That what is what is going on? There's not one futuristic piece of technology here at Nora's place. Thirty years down the road. Furthermore, w- did you take a look at that payphone, Antonio? I-, I feel like that you'd be hard pressed to find that payphone today. What is going on in the year? I mean, what are we at? Twenty forty here. Somewhere like that, yeah. And did you catch Lori Garvey's flip phone? What has happened, Antonio? (laughs) This is a good question, Rob. Yeah, they weren't, uh, no flying cars. Kevin didn't take a flying car to Australia. I mean, there was no drone out there looking for Nora out there combing Australia. I mean, that wedding was, uh, looked pretty low rent to me. I'm very concerned about the health of the world at whatever year this is going on in, whether 2035, 2040. That's a good question. Like this, and maybe that's Australia, but that doesn't explain the flip phone. Uh, I like the idea that Nora was living off the grid because she and technology have never been bad. Mm-hmm. Like that is something that has not really jived with her in the course of this season. And maybe like the machine was the ultimate piece of tech. And once she had a back out or went through with that, she was like, "I'm done with technology." So she appears to be living off okay. the grid. But that payphone. Uh, so I love that that payphone. Uh, so it, there was a coin slot and credit card slot on that payphone. And the, the DJ was at the wedding. There were lights everywhere. It wasn't fully post-apocalyptic. Maybe this is just what Australia is like, Rob. We need some, we need some of our Australian listeners to check in and let us know, are these payphones a common thing right. in the, uh, the verdant areas outside of Melbourne? But Lori Garvey wasn't taking the call on some like contact lens phone. No, no, she wasn't. This isn't the Black Mirror world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So who knows? Something's know. going something, on. There. Something weird is going on there. Good observation. Okay. Good observation. You got a quick hit? Uh, I have a quick hit. My quick hit is I, I actually want to talk a little bit about the sin beads. Nora takes the sin beads off of the scapegoat and she essentially like a messiah. She is the messiah story. It's the book of Nora. She takes the sin beads onto herself. She walks back home. And where does she put them in her house, Rob, when she gets back? Where? Right on top of a paper towel holder. And the last time we saw Nora Durst with paper towels, or the key time we saw Nora Durst with paper towels, 
was when the departure occurred, and she was her kids had spilled some juice. She turned around to get the paper towels, and when she, when she turned back, no family left. So, is there any significance to her taking on the sins of the wedding party, saving the goat, being the the savior, taking it back home, and then putting those sins and that go and those, those scapegoat sins right on top of that paper towel holder, which surely has symbolic meaning for her. Right? Does she t- forgive herself in that moment for everything? It's a good question. Like, is that is that what she ultimately needed in order for her to be able to move on with Kevin? Was she was that the moment where she was able to put everything behind her to take the sins from someone else, to take them on? She refuses the beads when she first gets to the wedding. She won't wear them, not even knowing that they're sin beads. Keeping in mind that the the way that where this episode centers itself, the groom says there's a difference between a sin and a mistake. A mistake is just effing up which is, of course, what Kevin says to himself about what they did with Nora. A sin is when you know something is wrong and you do it anyway. Mm -hmm. And that would have to be Nora, whether or not she went through the machine or not, continuing to hide out and lie to Kevin about being alive. That's the wrong thing to do, especially if you know that he's looking for you. Hiding out is wrong. Uh, And that it's just a horrible thing to put someone through, regardless of how horrible they were to you. Maybe going through the machine is the wrong thing to do. So maybe Nora is able to put these sins aside to move past the, the effing up uh, or to move past the uh, to move past the, the things that she's been doing that are wrong and that she's doing anyway and actually just to focus on sins and not not fucking up but like just the sin element of it I wonder if there's some there's something there and for our listeners out there Antonio and I especially me that uh, we may we will make mistakes often on these podcasts but we will not be sinning oh, yeah. against you Many mistakes. No, uh, yeah, you can count on that. I'm not going to be a sinner. Uh, I'm going to be something. Although I did podcast about an entire season of The Strain, which I knew was wrong, and I did it anyway. <laughs> so sometimes that happens. I did rewatch Screen Queens multiple times, Rob, which I knew was wrong, and I did it anyway. Yeah. So maybe I'm a little more guilty of the uh, sinning than you are. But yeah, we pledge a, a sin-free podcast as much as yes, possible. Yes, and uh, those guilty remnants are still in the archives. Yes. Uh, what about what, what other what other quick hits? Well, just quickly building off of what you were saying, uh, I love the Australian couple. I'd be very fine with some sort of uh, leftover sequel prequel uh, built around the life of the Australian couple. Yeah, they look great. Uh, they're just uh, the, the bride. I don't think she was drinking, but she as a pregnant bride was having a great time. Yeah. Uh, bringing up the pregnancy. It was really, really funny. They were they were funny together and they were funny separately. And she was real. I like the moment when she says to Nora, oh, yeah, yeah, you got really dressed up for my wedding. And then she says it again. And Nora's like, yeah, I know you. You, you, you said that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. A quick thing. Uh, how did Nora Durst get into the pigeon industry? <laughs> like, and what else does she do for a living? Yeah. Like, what else is going on there? Is she just a pigeon person? How many weddings are there where she, uh, her pigeons get rented out? It almost seemed as though the nun was very unfamiliar with the process of like, uh, you know, Nora came over like, hey, what gives? What'd you do to the birds? Huh? Huh? And uh, it's like, what? I just like, you know, like, did you give them the bird seed? Like, yeah, <laughs> it didn't seem like this is they do this every day. 
Yeah, that's true. Uh, it did seem like they've done it before because you had a whole bucket full of messages, but pr- probably not enough to sustain that off-the-grid awesome house and lifestyle. But again, if you're capturing rainwater and if you're using solar electricity and doing those sorts of things, I thought, I thought she had a gas stove, but I don't know about that. But uh, if you're doing all those things, then maybe you don't care. What do you make, though? Uh, what Her life is so... Of the runny egg sandwich? Runny egg sandwich, the door that's broken in her place that gets stuck. <laughs> yeah, we didn't talk about the door. What yeah. is going on there with those things? I mean, to me, I know there's been a lot of speculation at the door, and I think that uh, a lot of the Nora truthers uh, like myself end up, but, and I say that Nora truthers is in, uh, I think the Nora truthers are the people that think Nora lies, correct? Right. Yeah. Nora truthers are the ones who think Nora's lying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a little backwards. Just a very confusing but, thing, but yes, go on. Yes. Uh, that, you know, um, is there some sort of uh, analogy between her breaking the door down and then ultimately her breaking out of uh, the uh, machine, the suicide machine to uh, go to the alternate reality? I, I don't know why that's in there if it's not a clue to how she handled the other situation. Yeah, uh, where she had this thing where she wanted to get out. Yeah, um, that seems like it's entirely possible. Uh, it is fascinating. I thought that as well, that there was this thing where they they tell her, like, if you're going through, you got to go through this door, pull this latch uh, to the side, it's going to click. Uh, we see her doing that with all her doors and windows before she gets in the tub. She does it in such a scary way. I thought, oh my gosh, is there something supernatural that she's scared of? Like, what's happening here? And then it was just also she could get a bath? Like, I don't know. There was... A, I think some intentional connective tissue there. Speaking of intentional connective tissue, I wanted to know, <laughs> I knew that there, I, I, there were a lot of things going on in this episode about lying. We had the stuff nor lying at the beginning. We had the nun lying about sleeping with the guy. We had all these things happening. Did you catch the Kevin Garvey lied too? Did you see what his biggest lie was? What was it? The thing was, he said, like, uh, she said, I asked you to go to Miami. And Kevin said, there's no way. If you'd asked me to go to Miami, I would have gone. I love Miami. Rob, that is a lie. No one loves Miami. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no one loves Miami. That's a lie. We're going to get some lie. feedback. Uh, we're going to get you. Yeah. Send all your tweets at care of at AC Mazzaro. I live there. No one loves Miami. Even the pers- people that live there talk trash about it and talk about how garbage it is so no one loves miami it's a fun place to visit but don't move there uh but if you live there and you can't move i understand uh but yeah okay, okay that was just a joke just a joke some miami shade i had to throw it any other quick hits you have rob and uh you know shade is hard to come by in miami <laughs> nice i like it okay um and then uh, my one final note that i ended up having uh is uh poor bruce poor bruce poor bruce's biometrics i feel uh bad for bruce <laughs> oh man the sad story yeah this is the, this is a sad story the book of bruce the book of bruce yeah. is not a not a not a bruce book yeah that is uh, that is <laughs> it's not in uh hardcover no it's really more of a treatise it's like it's like a brochure yeah. at best <laughs> oh yeah. man poor bruce so uh the season premiere of the leftovers was uh the book of kevin uh you know we had the literal book of kevin the finale is named the book of nora and uh you know, great bookends there uh, with Kevin and Nora. But the fact the episode is called The Book of Nora, I mean, should we interpret anything from that based on what we know about the book of Kevin, which was sort of this whole narrative that really was sort of just like taken from sort of like assumptions that Matt made about the life of Kevin? I mean, does that speak to the book of Nora is a lie? 
interesting. I, I had always read the Book of Nora as part and parcel to Untitled Romance novel as well after this, in that the, the Book of Nora, it isn't just Nora's story, it's the story of Nora and Kevin, and that we're finishing Untitled Romance novel with a different ending. That she actually did try to run from Kevin, uh, whether or not she ran after she went through the machine or not. She was hiding from Kevin. She was hiding from the shame, either of leaving in the first place and coming back, or of never leaving and being a afraid to leave and not doing what Kevin told her she should do. But either way, she was the one fleeing from Kevin, that the ending of that, of the untitled romance novel was very much um, about her and not necessarily about him. And now we have a different ending. The different ending of the book of Nora is now that the, the doves come back and that the messages of love do come back at the end and that they are together. They aren't apart. He's not sailing off in a boat. Uh, he is actually with her and that the book of Nora is complete. So I think the, the bookend on that is, is like the book of Kevin was a huge wedge between them. It drove them apart. It was an issue that ultimately the burning of the book of Kevin was part of their huge fight. And that was the, the Kevinism itself and the ability to believe that or not believe it was this wedge between them. And that the book of Nora and her story, the ending is different and that the ending is all that matters. And the ending is we're together. And I think that that's fascinating because the book of Kevin is inextricably linked with the book of Nora, yet the book of Nora uh, departs and divides and goes in a different Different direction, and it ends differently. If you're talking about biblical texts, not all of those biblical books, even the ones that tell the same stories, are the same. They contain different details. Some don't even contain key stories that we remember as like the key Bible story. They're not in every gospel. So I think these books can be different and have the same ending. The ending being, this is what is ultimately the key takeaway. These individual stories, these parables, they might not make it into every book. And the things that you're so hung up on is, there's no way that happened. They might not be in every part of the story. But the ultimate takeaway, the thing that matters most about the message of, of Jesus or Christ or whatever you want to call it in this realm, uh, is, is the same. Is the, it's the same takeaway. And that's the, that's the key thing. And I think the ending of the Book of Nora is so much better than the ending of the book of Kevin. I like that the stories are connected, but that they're different and that the ending is actually different. All right. Well, Antonio, uh, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me uh, on to talk through all these things that were kicking around in my head uh, these last couple of days after the finale. Yeah, I'm thrilled to talk to you about it. I like that your perspective is slightly different. Josh and I are like uh, Stockholm Syndrome with each other in some ways. Like mm-hmm. We've just created this world where we believe certain things to be true, uh, maybe as a group, a uh, two-man group think that's going on. And I like having the outside perspective of somebody that isn't talking with us throughout and I always really really value talking to you about shows like this because uh, you're better than us yet one of us Rob you're on a you're on a different no, plane no, no. well you're on a different di- plane certainly different your, certainly yeah. different but yeah. no you guys do such a great job and you guys are uh, so much more art- articulate than I am when it comes to uh, talking through this stuff and I always appreciate uh, getting to listen to a show that uh, you and Josh get to do together on one of these and uh, it's uh, amazing how deep of a dive you guys uh, tend to do on these shows this one in particular. And we're not done. We're not done. We're not finished with the leftovers. We will be back if you, uh, we didn't really tease us from the top of this podcast, but hopefully you're still listening or you remember it from our recap podcast. Josh and I will return. If you send in feedback and we didn't get to it uh, on this particular podcast, we will probably get to that. There is still time. You can send in your feedback for us. You can sit uh, to leftovers at postshowrecaps.com to send email directly. You can also go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback. We probably will not be 
recording our wrap-up show, Josh and I, until next week sometime. So you've got this uh, ability if you, anything we said today or anything uh, that has occurred to you and you haven't sent in feedback or you already did and you want to send in more, hit us up. We'll uh, we'll definitely do that. You can also reach out on Twitter. I am at AC Mazzaro. Rob, you are at Rob Sesternino and Josh is at Round Howard. Do you have a hashtag for this episode, Rob? <laughs> Shoes on the other foot, buddy. <laughs> uh, I guess that uh, we could do uh, hashtag Nora Truthers. Are, are there a lot of people? Uh, is that being used out there? Let me just check Listen, on Twitter. Listen, if it is, I want to get in on that action because I just want to talk to anybody who's out on the internet talking about the leftovers. So even if yeah. it's in, unless it's like, unless it's like Nora Roberts Truthers, you know, like I think we'll be fine. You know, Nora Ephron Truthers. Are there people that believe uh, that Nora Ephron went to the 2% world? Uh, is that too soon to make that joke? I yes. don't know. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Um, so I, I took a look at the hashtags. Uh, so Nora Truther has been used by one person. Pet Cobra says, uh, my sources, career intel officers tell me that Comey will be discussing the series finale of The Leftovers, hashtag Nora Truther. But if we do Nora Truthers, <laughs> nobody's on that yet. All right, so the hashtag we could use is Nora Truthers. Oh, you don't want to get in on that sweet, sweet James Comey bump, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) Comey bump could be huge on this, Uh, especially if it drops on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, save that for Um, House of Cards. But that being said, uh, yeah, otherwise we can go with uh, poor Bruce also. Yeah, poor Bruce, poor (laughs) Bruce and his ED, uh, poor Bruce. uh, From a previous wedding, I don't know what role he played in that. uh, But yeah, poor Bruce, poor Bruce indeed. Rob, uh, you you and Zach Brooks are talking about, uh, when Zach Brooks sent in a question we didn't get to that Josh and I will get to, you and Zach Brooks are talking about a House of Cards here at Post Show Recaps. Is that true? What's the uh, what's the format for that show if people aren't listening to that? Yeah, so we covered uh, the first few episodes uh, already in podcast up on postshowrecaps.com. Depending on when you're listening to this on Thursday or Friday, I am hoping that uh, we will have our next batch of episodes because of uh, you know a very busy June. Uh, so I'm doing three episodes a week, and those are probably uh, dropping uh, towards the end of the week if you want to follow along with us uh, with the saga of Frank Underwood and Claire Underwood in the House of Cards. Okay, and you also have kicked off Fear the Walking Dead coverage Fear the Walking here on Post Show back. Recaps. That's, that's, that's there on PostShowRecaps.com. Antonio and I are uh, closing in on the home stretch of uh, Better Call Saul, so uh, a lot going on on the old Post Show Recaps right now. Yeah, and uh, and more to come, certainly in the months to come. Uh, this won't be too long before Game, Game of, of Thrones. Thrones starts back. Speaking of people who die and go to other worlds, Rob, uh, yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, uh, what if? Yeah, that that would be great. Uh, that's probably what the White Walkers are. They're just the two percent. They're the people that disappeared and they were <laughs> turned happen? into. Yeah, that's yeah. A, yeah. It's a band of this is. This is a, we had to come up with a grand unified theory of every show we cover on post show recaps. That's a podcast it's in the same in universe. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's what we need to do. The PSRU. Uh, but yeah, that is, uh, I'm looking forward to all of that. So the extended PSRU. Yeah. People can subscribe to post show recaps in our general feed. Rob, what is that link for post show recaps? Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes uh, is the way to do it. We appreciate the uh, feedback and star ratings there as well. Uh, and let me just also, uh, again, say that in this uh, probably last time I get to talk about The Leftovers, I really did enjoy this show. It's one of the few shows uh, that I even uh, watch right now that I watch the night that it comes on. I, you know, I don't want to get spoiled on this. I 
really uh, enjoyed this very fun ride. I hope I didn't make too many people upset with being uh, too skeptical about my interpretation of the events in the finale and the series as a whole. But I did enjoy everything again this is like the the meal is over i'm sort of like oh, i think there was a little too much salt in this but overall no, 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 it was no. a wonderful time i, I yeah, would do it again there was no salt i i don't think people will take it that way because the majority of the feedback we got was people saying they didn't believe Nora was telling the truth some of the feedback we got was people saying if Nora is telling the truth they don't like the show anymore so i think people are going to be fine with your salt rob i think the most the hottest take is that the show nuked all of its mythology and we have no mystery left and they're not concerned with that but guess what i mean like that as i pointed out like we've kind of been on that that plane with the show after last episode anyway like that was very clear that they were sending that message and that that really isn't pertinent to to where we're going with the the final takeaway from the show i hope it doesn't impact people re-watching the show i hope since it was only 28 episodes and we all really enjoyed each episode in the moment that everyone's on the same page with you that that doesn't even matter if that's true i didn't feel like i wasted my time or wasted my breath, like the Guilty Remnant would say. And let the mystery be. Yeah, let it be. So, uh, you know, whisper Just words tough of to wisdom. do that on a feedback show. It is tough to do it. It really is tough to do that in a feedback show when all people want to talk about is the mystery. But we will get into more of that with Josh Wiggler when he returns. And any other comments or feedback any of you have. And Rob, if you feel the need in the, in the interim to come back and correct the record, or if anybody's coming at you with their pitchforks out, you're certainly yeah. welcome to pop onto that show. I'll send in a voicemail. And send in a voicemail or do anything like like that the opportunity is there the door is always open for you and the door is always open for you guys to and send if it's in not like nora i'll break it down <laughs> and you'll bring a goat with you hopefully rob uh yeah yes. yeah you'll bring a goat with you uh speaking of goats thank you to alex kidwell uh for producing these podcasts and for collating all of your feedback uh, i'll let you guys decide which goat alex kidwell is is it the abbreviated goat or is it the animal? Uh, he is the scapegoat uh, for us here uh, many times, but he is also the goat in many ways. So thank you to Alex Kidwell as always. Uh, and with that, I think we're done here, Rob. All right, everybody uh, looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say on postshowrecaps.com. Take care. Bye. I'm departing. Everybody is wondering what and